Just remain standing a moment, and let's pray while we're standing up. Anybody got a special request, just raise up your hand and say, Lord, remember my request tonight. Watching this boy sitting here in a wheelchair with his hand up, I pray that God will heal him tonight. And let's just be in prayer now as we bow our heads, each one in your own way. Our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee in the precious name of the Lord Jesus to thank Thee for all that Thou hast done for us. This is another day that we are spared, Lord, one day this side of eternity. We thank Thee for it. And if we have did anything that was displeasing to Thee, we ask forgiveness. And we pray now that You will take the service into Thy hands and continue with us, Father. As we read the Word and begin to speak on the Word, O oh God, may the Holy Spirit come. May we have fellowship around the Word, Lord. Just great, glorious fellowship. Grant it. Bless us together and answer each request. Thou knowest their hearts and what they have need of. My hand's up too, Lord, and I pray that you'll remember my request. Remember those who are sick and afflicted and needy and the people calling and crying and begging and their loved ones dying. Oh, it's a sick world, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, take us from it, Lord, to that glorious land where there's no sickness and sorrow. Speak to us tonight and through us. Circumcise the lips that speaks and the ears that hear. And bless thy word and may it be a seed in our hearts to build faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you're being seated. We are indeed a privilege. We deem this to be here again tonight. And now, tomorrow, the Lord willing, we're to be tomorrow afternoon at 2.30 at the Old Pisgah Home with Brother Smith at 2.30 tomorrow afternoon. Now, they'd have to tell you the directions. I, I guess anybody knows where the Old Pisgah Home is. I guess the Pisgah Church or Pisgah Home is that? Yes. Home and Church, it's called. I was, Brother Smith is a very precious friend of mine. We've missionaried together in the islands, and he's a very fine Christian gentleman. And uh, you that live in around near there, I don't know how far it is, but um, it's uh, somewhere uh, here in California. <laughs> I wouldn't know what, I just simply don't know my way around here. And I make so many mistakes around here, anyhow. I had something today. I had some fellowship with Brother Argenbright. They said he just was speaking. I'd been out, some little lady outside the door there crying to go see her father, dying with cancer. And you don't know how many of those there is, just everywhere. And so um, I was up to have fellowship with Brother Argenbright this morning. I just almost made one of the most horrible mistakes. Mm. I was standing at Clifton's cafeteria where I'm to speak next Saturday morning uh, for the Christian businessman, and I stand there watching the people come in, and I, I seen some young lady come in, and I was going to go over and ask her if she wanted me to pray for her. I, I thought there was something wrong and with her eyes, and I'd seen leprosy and leucomia, ophthalmia, 
I'd, but I never seen any eyes like that. And come to find out, it, it wasn't that because here comes some more in. It was some kind of stuff she had on her eyes. It was a, a I was just a good thing something stopped me. She, and she had some kind of a chartreuse looking stuff down this way and then some dark blue behind that. And I thought the poor thing was just about to die. I didn't know she was coming in. I thought, I thought, that's, that's the first time I ever seen anything like that. Is that some new fad or something you're doing? And I looked around and I seen that and I started going and say, oh my, that poor girl, I'd just like to ask her what's wrong with her eyes. And uh, I thought maybe she'd, I'd tell her to uh, pray for the sick, maybe that and if I'd like to find out what it was, I've been in Africa in the jungles and, and I've and I, I never seen anything like that in all my life. And I didn't think about it being makeup. You know, where, you know where makeup comes from is from the jungle. That's right. It's a heathen trait. It, it don't belong to civilization. It's a, it's a heathens. Yeah, they paint themselves, make, take mud. And I, that's exactly the truth. Sure is. It originated there. That's where it belongs. It don't belong to civilization. A long way from Christianity. So then, they, uh, I never had seen anything like that in, in Africa, in the United States, Switzerland, France, Germany, where I've been about seven times around, so I never seen anything like that. And I happened to find it in California. It's a good thing I didn't walk up. She'd probably slap me, wouldn't she? If I told her if I could pray for her for her eyes, you know. And, I had a minister friend one time that come from Holland here, and he made a mistake, something like that, and the girl never slapped him, but it's a wonder she didn't. He was a little Hollander, and he was at my house. He went downtown, and he's kind of a middle-aged man. There was a girl walked out with them little, just little, hardly any clothes at all on. He ordered, oh, sister, sister. And she looked around, and she said, what's the matter? You said you forgot your skirt. <laughs> and so on. And so he, and she just turned her head and walked down the street, kind of, so I wonder if she didn't slap <laughs> But poor fella, he just thought, oh my, I can't believe that we come from monkeys, but I sure looks like we're going back that way. <laughs> Brother Argenbright was speaking to me about having some meetings later on in the week about praying for the sick. I, I love to pray for the sick. That's my ministry. I'm not a preacher. I don't have enough education to call myself a preacher. Never come out of any schools or anything. So I, I just love to tell of the word what I know, and that's about all I can say. Just by experience and what I read. But uh, he said that the people were wanting to form a prayer line and pray for the sick. Now, the reason I haven't been doing it, when I come, they told me on this meeting here, I've been to throw it all together. I've been having healing services. No one, there's no need of me trying to explain it. I cannot what visions does for you. But any reader of the Bible knows what it does for you. Anyone, if our Lord was touched by one woman, him being this virgin-born son of God, and one vision from that woman touched him, said, I perceive that I have gotten weak. What do you think it would do to be a sinner saved by grace? One vision from the prophet Daniel, he was out of his head, troubled, or didn't know where he was at, walking around for several days. No one realized what that does to you. And it's, it's you, you meet, you stay in there a little while and you, you meet somebody, you don't, you really, is it a vision or am I, where am I at, see? 
See, it's God taking a hold of you. And now, let me just say a word on that. Surely spiritual people would understand that. Who reads the Bible? Let's just take like this. Poets and prophets. Let's just speak. That's inspirational. I'll start on poets first. Poets, a real poet, is by inspiration. Let's just take one poet that I think of. Let's take Stephen Foster. I think he was one of the greatest poets we had in America. Give us our folk songs and things. Did you ever read his life? Now, the old Kentucky home is just across the river from me. I can go over there in 15 minutes from my house. There's the desk. It was valued at the World Fair for about $25,000 many, many years ago where he wrote in the old Kentucky home, the places where he wandered around, now on the plantation and so forth. Well, every time Stephen Foster would get up in enough um, inspiration to, to take his pen and write a song, then after the inspiration left him, he'd get on a drum. Did you know that? Yes, yeah. sure yeah. And finally, when he come out from under it one time, he didn't know where he was at, and he called a servant and took a razor and cut his throat, committed suicide. Did you ever know that? Life of Stephen's foster. Let's take, you say, well, that man was a whirly man. Well, let's take William Camper. I stood by his grave in London, England, not long ago. Just had to weep. He was considered an erotic. Anyone who... It lives in the spirit to the world. There's just one little shade from insanity. Science says that. William Camper, when he wrote that famous song, we used it in communion at our, my Baptist tabernacle at home for years and years. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. You've heard it, haven't you? Did you ever hear the history of it? As soon as the inspiration left him, when he was in there, he wrote the song, and when he was up in such a high key where people don't know nothing about, just to sing and shout and dance, that's not in, that's in the spirit, all right, but the spirit of joy, see? But when you raise up into them spheres that you know nothing of, see, you can't explain that you just, you have to just know it's there and that's all. When he come out of that, he tried to find the river to commit suicide. How many ever heard the story? Sure, see? He tried to find the river to commit suicide. It's too foggy. The driver couldn't find the river. He's going to plunge beneath the river. He thought he was still in the song. Now he's going to plunge beneath the river, lose all his guilty stains, see? Now you say, you're talking about songwriters, all right. Let's turn it right back in the Bible now. Let's take prophets. Let's take the, the prophet Jonah. When he was on his road down to Nineveh, and, um, and he uh, went by the way of Tarshish, and the Lord taken him over to Nineveh and kept him alive in the belly of a whale for three days and nights. You believe the story is true? He had, him, he had him anointed, and when he come out of that, so in prayer for three days and nights in the belly of this whale, when he come out on the banks of Nineveh, he preached with such force until they even put sackcloth on their cattle and repented in such a way. Is that right? Yes. Turn repentance to the city. And went up on the hill when the inspiration left him and sat down under a tree and prayed for God to take his life. Yes. Is that right? When the inspiration left him. See, it ain't while you're here you feel like you're a giant. But you don't know what they have put up with as soon as you leave here. Look at, let's take Elijah the prophet. God give him inspiration, give him a vision. Told him to go up on the mountain and what to do. He laid that thing in order just the way God told him to. It hadn't rained for three years and six months. And he called fire out of the heavens and immediately called rain out of the heavens. And took and killed 400 priests himself executed 400 priests and then when the inspiration left him run at the threat of a woman 
and run out in the wilderness and sit down under a juniper tree and said, God, take my life. And he, God fed him with some cakes on the hearth there and, and then fed him for again. And then he was wandering in the wilderness for 40 days and God found him pulled back in a cave somewhere. that right? Yeah. And the mighty Russian wind went by. God wasn't in the wind. The thunder went by. He wasn't in the thunder. That's while a still small voice spoke to him. Won't know why he was back in that cave. See, beside himself, wandering around in that wilderness. And it's found pulled back in a cave. Now you have some conception? What's the Son of God? That's the reason, friends, it this nearly, you don't realize, I stood here the other night trying to stand as long as I could for you people because with the gospel I'd cut it just as hard and slammed at your denominations and everything. Not at your denominations, but the way that they're getting so loose, you see. They're, and with that I thought, God... I love them and I, I've heard them. Let me stand as long as I can. And when I started off this platform, I found myself in the arms of a minister. When I got in the yard, I run into some woman out in the room out there where there's some more people standing. I, I didn't know where I was at. Then Billy got me by the arm, led me out. And next thing I knew, they take me up the steps down to the place where I stayed. And then all night long, I didn't sleep at all. I didn't tell you about it. See? Next day, I... Look like everything I look at, the maid come in to make up the rooms, and I stood there. Just as soon as she come in, I knew right then what was wrong with her. I went out on the street, walked down the street, and here come a man coming down the street right there. I just first thing to stood myself stand there, seeing how something he had done. I was trying to tell him right there on the street. See, you just don't realize what you go through. See, you, you, you just know the outside. You don't know what the inside is. It's like being way up high, a million miles high, where you feel like everything's in your reach like that, and all at once you just drop off of somewhere and you don't... There you are, see. And that's the reason we have to watch it real close. And one time I was in the meeting so long, and the brother let me stay so long at the platform till it was almost a year before I was back in the field again. And so that's what makes it hard. <laughs> Until I cross the border on the other side and meet you people again face to face... You, there's no need to try to explain it. You just believe me as your brother. I, I try to work everything I can in love to you. Wouldn't I love tonight to take every sick person and say, I can heal you? Oh, I, if I could take a quarter and put it on the street and push it across Hollywood to Hollywood from here to get you healed, I'd do it. I'd sure do it. But if I could get the Bible built, built around faith enough to just a, a couple of things that you could see and recognize... See, we're so earthbound, all of us, I am too, see, so earthbound that we don't realize that it's Jesus Christ standing there, see. Now, when that anointing comes, you can catch every person in here just exactly where the fears, where the flusterations, where there it is like a heartbeat coming to you, see. When it isn't me, it's just become anointed, that's all, see. And it's just a, a gift that I have to just yield myself to the Spirit. I usually don't eat or anything, just keep yielding myself to the Spirit, and when they bring me here at nighttime, no one speaks to me. See, I come right in, go right out the same way. I stay in the room and pray till I can either hear it or know and see that light moving in the room where I am. And I just keep saying, thank you, Lord. I'm going there for one purpose, to help your people. Now, you help me, Lord. Whatever it is, give the people faith. And that's, that's the way I do it. That's right. And um, so then when it comes to just praying for the sick, laying hands on them, I do that all the time, of course, that's right. And now, that's one way, that's the, that's the old tradition way of the Jews to do that. And it's good. It pays off for Robertson, 
And Tommy Osborne, Tommy Osborne, I don't think, lays hands on the people. He just explains to them the word. And just catches the devil. He's such a scholar till he can just put the devil in his place by the word and then let them pray for one another, make one committal prayer, and sit back up there and let them come up and testify all night. He said, they don't bother him a bit. He don't hear. And I met him here not long ago. Tommy's one of the finest fellows. Tommy Osborne is really one Christian gentleman. Brother Tommy Osborne, very sweet fellow. And he just, he just got a hold on the word from old brother Bosworth. He come to my house. He's up here. What started his ministry is up there when that maniac ran out to kill me. You've read it many times on the platform. And then, and he stood out there with his shoulders back and spit in my face and everything else and said, you deceiver before 60 some odd hundred people. He said, up here imposing yourself as a servant of God, said, I'll break every bone in that little body of yours. Great, big, two, sixty pounds. Well, you better know what you're speaking about. You better not speak at all. Just let God be the speaker. I know he'd led me there. And two little policemen I'd led to Christ back in a dressing room in the auditorium, run out to grab him. I said, this is not a flesh and blood affair. Just let him alone. So he run up there. Now, I'll tell you. If you ever get one speck angry, you better walk off the platform. There's only one thing will conquer any devil or anything else. That's love. That's the only way I can ever help anybody is when I love them. And I can feel the love of them to me. Now, the man there, I thought, that poor fellow, he wouldn't kill me. That's the devil making him do that. He may be a married man, have children. What's he got against me? He never seen me in his life. Come to find out he's out of an insane institution. He hit a minister out on the street and broke his jaw and his collarbone. He just had a mania to kill preachers. And he started walking there and about a couple of hundred preachers scattered off the platform like quick when they seen him. And so he, there he stood and he stood up there. He said, tonight I'm going to knock you all the way out in the middle of that audience and break every bone in your body. Now he is plenty physically able to do it. He weighed about 260 and I weighed about 118. So there he stood there. And I looked around and I thought, well, poor fella. Now look, there's the devil. Got that great big fine species of a man all bound like that. Isn't that pitiful? And I turned around. I, I didn't say one thing. Just kept still. Now I heard myself tell him. See, that was the spirit. The spirit told him. You ought to see it in the jungles in Africa and like that how it works. You see it here amongst Americans. But see it out there where you come before witch doctors and and uh, it said, because you have challenged the Spirit of God, tonight you'll fall over my feet. He said, I'll show you whose feet I'll fall over, you imposter, you snake in the grass, you hypocrite. You walk up and spit <laughs> I never said one word. He just stood and looked at him. He got right up close to me. He drew back his great big arm like that. His teeth set together and his eyes just glistening. He raised back to hit me and I said, Satan, come out of the man. He went, ooh, ooh, ooh. Again, turned around and around like that and fell down, pinned my feet to the floor. Okay. They're both spirits that challenge one another. See. He had challenged and the Spirit of God accepted it. See, And there he fell on my feet. And then a little police ran out and said, Is he dead? I said, No, sir, he isn't dead. Well, is he healed? I said, no, sir. He worships that spirit. He, he's not healed. I said, I wish you'd roll him off on my feet because he was, he was kind of heavy. <laughs> Tommy Osborne seen that, or his wife saw it, brought him down the next day, and he nailed himself in a room for three days. When I went home off that trip, there he was out in the front, little Tommy's, and he's a couple, little, his little baby, and then the little, little boy. 
He was two or three times around the car, so nervous. You know, he said, Brother Bram, Brother Bram, you think I got a gift of healing? I said, look, Tommy, after this revival starting like this, there'll be so many divine healers in the land. <laughs> I said, it'll be pitiful. It'll be so that people won't even won't have a meeting unless they've got a divine healing. See, divine healing is a minor. You can never major with a minor. See, salvation is the main thing to the soul. Divine healing is just a minor thing. But I said, it'll come to pass because when the phenomena is done, there's always a mixed multitude like it was in the days of Moses. I, always. Luther, I was reading, taking the history of Luther here not long ago, and said the phenomenon of Martin Luther wasn't that he could protest the Catholic Church and get by with it, but hold his head above all the fanaticism that followed his revival. So that's right. So I said, it'll follow the same here, see. So I said, you was called for the ministry. You know that, Tommy. He said, yes, I do. You look like a promising young man for the Lord. And I said, well, if I was in your place, if you was called for the ministry, you was called to pray for the sick. Don't forget about gifts of divine healing and things. Just pray for the sick. I said, I'd go up under that old oak tree there and learn something about the word of the divine healing. He said, what old oak tree? I said, that bald-headed one sitting on my front porch. Dr. F. F. Bosworth, I said, there's not a man in the land that knows any more about the Word of God on divine healing than he does. I was going to Africa just here some year, a few years ago, and I was in Madison Square. No, what is that place we visit there in New York? St. Nicholas Arena. And he flew all the way back, and he flew all the way up there. And when I, I walked out on the platform, he seen me start crying like that, and I run behind the screen and hugged him. And I said, Tommy, you just come to the islands. He said, yes, Brother Bram. I said, I guess you're so tired, honey. Why would you ever fly up here? He said, I'm not a bit tired. So I'm on a honeymoon. I said, a honeymoon? He said, yeah, me and my wife, we just have a great time. He said, you see, Brother Bram, I'm glad the Lord didn't give me any discernment or anything. He said, you know when you told me to sit under that old oak tree? I said, yes, that bald-headed one? I said, yes, sir. He said, I learned something there. I said, I just go and take the word, take about 30 minutes and tie Satan in such a knot. He can't get out of it. And it's all for prayer and say, y'all see, he'll come on up. I said, let first one rise up and give the other encourage. And the other said, me and my wife, he sits back there and claps her hands and have a big time. Shout till about 11 o'clock. And then we let the rest of them take it over. And we go home, walk in the moonlight and have a great time. He said, <laughs> I said, yes. And that same old oak tree sitting right out here tonight waiting to go to Africa with me bless his heart he's in glory tonight enjoying the pleasures of eternal life on the other side that's it oh God I'll be so glad when we all get over on the other side won't you and it's all over with now if you're not the seed of Abraham tonight come be the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ now I want to read just a verse of scripture I'll be Somebody reads the Bible for me each night, Brother Roy. I want to read some, just one more, because if my words fail, his won't. And I want to read this from Saint First uh, John, and the first chapter and the seventh verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I like to take a text, if it would be called a text, for just a little bit now, on this subject here, the basis of fellowship. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I 
like to speak on the terms of fellowship. Now, why are we here together? We are here, perhaps, with different organizations, different denominations, represented here, probably Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals, Oneness, Twoness, Threeness, Fourness, what all goes together, we're sitting here. Now, someday, God's going to drive us all together. You'll have to, see, to make... Right over here in Houston, Texas, not long ago, when the angel of the Lord had his picture taken on Dr. Best, that night the Baptist church is holding the debate there. And when they put it in the paper that the debate would be held between Brother Bosworth and he at my meeting, over there at the Lord and sent me, why, there come, they didn't pay attention to what, there's one thing in common, divine healing was at, at, at stake, and so every one of them come fellowship together then. And so then it'll be that way sometime. Communism will finally root itself around here and we'll be glad to fellowship with one another. Fine brethren are like precious faith. Whether they're riding a one-hump camel or a two-hump camel or whatever there is, we'll be glad to be riding with them anyhow. Go, uh, join their fellowship. I hope I'll live to see it. Now, fellowship is when we can come together. Now, you can't make uh, like crows and doves. They can't have fellowship with one another. Their diet's different. Their, their habits are different. You have to have fellowship as long as you're in an agreement. Now, what makes man long to have fellowship? What makes us come together and want to fellowship with one another? It's because that there has to be some kind of a strain from that. Now, I was some time ago in a great museum where there was a Greek artist had painted the picture of Adam and Eve. I've never seen such a hideous-looking sight in my life as that Eve looked like and Adam. Well, now, if Eve looked like that, hair sticking out like this and the jaw setting sideways and one arm this way and the other and that way and one limb about that big around another like that, oh, it's an awful-looking, brutal-looking thing. Well, if that was the way Eve looked when Adam woke up and seen her, that would be the desire of a man to his wife today, to look like that. It was a strain. That's right. Now, we know better than that. Now, God doesn't make nothing unless it's perfect. It's right, good, precious, perfect. Now, I believe, just like man today, why doesn't man, why doesn't man, when he finds out he's a sinner, why doesn't he come out and say, Father, I, I'm a sinner. I want you to forgive me. No, no. He doesn't do it. He does the same thing that Adam done. Hide himself in the bushes somewhere. You see? He wants to keep with Why? That's what he done in the beginning. And that's what I think that Eve was the most beautiful woman that was ever on the face of the earth. I long to see her and Adam come walking down the paradises of God together. Just to see what our mother of the earth looked like. She's a beautiful person, no doubt. And Adam is of ever species of a man, masculine in every way, effeminate in every way. But now we find out that what makes man long to fellowship is because that he once had a fellowship. And his fellowship was with God. A man today is trying his best, no matter what he is, if he's an Indian. When we come here, we found an Indian worshiping the sun. Worshiping a totem pole. We go into Africa, we find him under little idols and things. There's somewhere he's trying to find his way back because his origin was to fellowship with God. Amen. That's where it come from. He knows that he come from somewhere behind the curtain, and he's only trying to look back behind there to see where he come from and where he's on his road back. That's the reason the supernatural attracts the attention of the people 
so mightily is because men are looking from where they come from and which way they're going. There's only one book in the world can tell you that. That's the Bible. Who you are, where you come from, and where you're going. That's exactly tells you your destination right here in the Bible. Where you come from and who you are. Now, as soon as man found out that he was a sinner, he's always tried to make his own way back. He's tried to find his own way back. And he's totally lost. Now, that's the reason I think that Christ referred to us as sheep. Sheep of his pasture. If anybody ever herded sheep, when a sheep is lost, he's totally lost. I've herded them many times. And I've found them sheep standing out there when he's lost from the rest of them. He'll just stand in blade till the wolf gets him or something happens. He cannot find his way back. He's totally lost. He's got to have a shepherd. And that's the way the human race is. We can no more save ourselves than a leopard could lick his spots off of him. He just brightens it up as he licks. So, but it shows his strain. He tried to find his way back. He's still taking that same attitude of trying to find his way back. We find the first thing he tried to do was to try to cover himself up with fig leaves. To make himself, now religion is a covering. We know that that's what it is, is a covering. The first thing he tried to do was cover himself, make himself some aprons out of fig leaves. He found out that they wouldn't work. In the presence of God, God condemned the works of his hand. He just wouldn't work. He tried to build a tower so he could get out of the way of all the floods and destructions and find his way back on his tower in Babel, back to God. God condemned it and confused her language and the tower dropped. And every time that man tries to make his own way, he, he fails. After he's lost his fellowship with God, he become a wanderer, had to shift for himself, God taking care of him before then. But now he finds he has to shift for himself, and it's a pretty hard thing. So he doesn't have a loving father to watch over him and protect him and guide him and direct him and feed him and clothe him and care for him like he did. So instead of coming back... He tries to find his own way. He wants to make his own way back. Man wants to make his own way. He's always had. Always will, I suppose, try to find his own way. And every time he makes his own way, he always gets wrong. Now we find out in the, this age, let's take some of the ways he tries to get back yet. He tries in this age to bring himself back to his intellectuals. He tries to educate himself back. We had a program here not long ago. If we could educate the world, here about 75 years ago, the world taking up on itself to educate itself back into fellowship. Make all nations, when we civilized the world, brought the liberty monarch and brought the heathen and everything, we started out in our churches making programs to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. What did we do? Made him a two-child more full of hell than he ever was to begin with. I've just come from Africa recently. And in Africa, the worst thing they ever did was educate the heathen. The hardest heathen there is to deal with is the educated heathen. Now, a heathen is an unbeliever. And you get a, an uneducated heathen, sometimes you can talk to him. But you educate him, he knows more about it than you do or God does or anybody else. So, and what do we do? Now, to, and, uh, so that my colored friends here will understand, when you take the African Negro, when he's out in his little hop out there, he's all right. There's only one thing he won't needs is Christ. You bring him into the city, 
And when and I tell you, in their own living over there, they could teach this Christian world over here morals that they wouldn't know nothing about. While there's a tribe there, if a girl is wait till after a certain age until she's married, and if she doesn't have someone or doesn't marry someone by that time, well, she has to take off tribal paint and go into the city and just be a roustabout like them that's in the city, go in the compounds. She's no more fit to stay amongst the, the society of that tribe. Now, and if she is married, before she can be married, she has to be tested her virgency. If she be found guilty, she has to tell the man that done it, and they're both killed together. What if they do that in Hollywood or Los Angeles or over in the United States tonight? There'd be a lot of killing done. No nightlife in Africa like that. No, they live higher, cleaner, moraler than we do. It's calls ourselves Christians. Yes, sir. If that girl was found guilty, if a woman ever found guilty of running her dishonorable to her husband, she's killed right there with the man that lives with her. Yes, sir. There's no immoral among them. I never, in all the discernments of cases, never found one case of, of venereal disease among them. That's right. Not in any of them. I found TB and other things, even leprosy, but no immorals, any venereal. Now, see there, they're, they're wanderers. And our education, what do we do with them? We bring them down there in a compound and you kick on a piece of tin where those are trying to have to take off that tribal paint and you find a goat's pigs and everything else run out of there and four or five children, four or five men, four or five women. That's what civilization does to them. When this country here used to be beautiful and the Indian lived here by himself, he had very little sin, little tribal war. But when the white man come, what did he bring? Women, whiskey, killing, murder. Look where it's at now. See? Civilization brings sin, always. When mind began to multiply upon the face of the earth, Violence set in, and God destroyed the world. Sin came by civilization, so your intellectuals will never get you back in fellowship with God. That's a hard statement. But let me say this with all tolerance and not trying to support my ignorance. But I think the worst enemy that Jesus Christ ever had was education. Educate the world, you get a bunch of educated heathens, and you can't do nothing with them. Not long ago, I had an FBI man was converted in my meeting. He take me into the room and show me how that the where crime began. And the, I made that kind of a statement one time in a meeting, and he showed me on a map, like you take a little a thing and pull it out of the map at certain places, and it showed where the highest educated people was. There's where the most crime was. Right? They think they can outsmart the law and things like that. Educated education has been an indebtedness to to the salvation of the human soul. Now, education's fine as far as it goes, but it'll never take the place of salvation. So a man trying to educate himself back to Christ is fighting the air. He'll never do it. He cannot do it. Now, when that has failed, now they're trying to uh, bring the people into a fellowship. After that, they thought they would denominate the world. The Methodists would have their denomination, the Baptists would have theirs, the Catholics would have theirs, and the Pentecostals would have theirs. And that was another fatal mistake. You can never do it. You'll never do it. You're just fighting as much air as it was on the educational program. You'll never be able to do it. It's not God's plan in the beginning. You say, well, we have a great program. We have That may be so, but the church is programmed to death. That's right. We don't need programs. We need prayer meetings. That's right. We, uh, 
We don't need education. We need salvation. That's what we need. Salvation doesn't lay in education. Salvation doesn't lay in denominations. Education plays its part. Denomination plays its part. But that ain't the, that ain't the fundamental reason for, that ain't the, the way we'll ever get back to fellowship again. Now, sit here and here's a man, he's a Baptist, and here's one over here, he's a Pentecostal. They're sitting at one another's age. Then the Pentecostal oneness, and the Pentecostal threeness, and the Pentecostal how many, you know, all like this, in the, in the church of God, four square, every one, see, right at edge with one another. If the assemblies bring me into a city, then the rest of them has nothing to do with it. If the others bring me in, no, the rest of them has nothing to do with it. See, that's the way it seems to be. You'll never be able to denominate people to fellowship. You cannot do it. It just won't do. Just, uh, it just won't work. It's not God's program. Now, do you see the great thing they're doing now? God never destroyed anything, uh, but man destroys himself by his own wisdom. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One of them was a tree of life, the other was a tree of knowledge. The first time a man taken a bite from the tree of knowledge, he separated his fellowship from God. Every time he takes a bite, he destroys himself. He bit off gunpowder, kills his comrade. Next thing he bit off is automobiles, kills more than the gunpowder. He's got himself an atomic bomb now, what is he going to do with that? See, he destroys himself all the time through his knowledge. He's compli- Why don't he come back to this simple tree of faith here and believe? Him? See, that's all he has to do. Now, watch now what's taking place. Now, we find out that man now has t- got a program. They got it in Russia. They're adopting it in the United States. Till through science, they're going to find their way back. Now, science took a bottle in Russia not long ago. They get put muscles back on a man that had had his uh, been had infantile paralysis he could make the muscles grow they took a little bottle and shook it we got healing in this bottle we got healing in this we got your salvation in this bottle see science they can try to go at the moon and that's another tower of Babel. so they're just all these different things the sputniks in a race to get up there in the moon well, brother, I, I'm not in a race, but I'm telling you one thing. I've got a program here, not I have, but God has. I'm his salesman for it. And I tell you now, it's a program that will take you a hundred billion, billion, million light years beyond the moon. That's right. And there, if you go up the moon, you couldn't sit down because, say, you jump right back up unless you had some magnet to hold you there. You couldn't stay overnight. You'd freeze to death in the daytime. You'd burn up. Why are you going to do when you get there? I don't want to go there. I want to go when I'm at home. That's on the other side. That's right. A flight in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, be caught away in the rapture and go to be with the Lord Jesus where we live forever. Not something trying to stick yourself on something, something that you're already there to stay forever. What a glorious thing that is. Now, you see all these denominations, separations, scientists and all their, all the education, all the denominations, all the separations and segregations and everything. We have left off the main principle in the only way that God can bring man into fellowship. We cannot do it through racial separating the races. We cannot do it that way. We cannot do it through national. They're wanting one flag, one nation, one language. Well, it'll be that way sometime. Now, the only reason that man wants it, Germany wanted it, he wanted all of them to speak German, all nations to speak German. If they don't speak German, they're not in it. I was in Africa, and the Boers think they got an illegitimate language anyhow. 
all few a little a little French and a little English and a little Germany and all of it mixed together. They say all the millenniums got to use that language when when the millennium comes on. The Christians think that. Well, the English wants to think in Britain, you know, oh my, sure is we it's going to be English in the in the millennium. Well, we say they sure speak American brogue in the millennium. But I'll tell you, you're going to be surprised. There's going to be a heavenly language that you never heard before. That we're going to speak that language. And it ain't going to be the star-spangled banner, neither the swastika or, or circle of the half-circle of sickle and hammer. It's not going to be any of those flags, but it's going to be the old rugged cross stained with blood so divine. An emblem of suffering and shame. That's the flag. One flag. One king. Christ Jesus. One nation. One people. One language. All Christians born again. That's going to be the, the time. Now, God laid down the program right in the Garden of Eden and condemned man's work of his hand to begin with. As soon as man made his first mistake trying to find his way back to his fig leaf re, uh, religion to get back again, God condemned it. And what did he do? He killed some animals and got some sheepskins, I believe it was, and throwed it in there so it showed through that it takes the blood has always been God's program and always will be God's program that through the blood there is remission of sin without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin whether you take it any way you wish to all other programs will fail but that won't without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin God in the beginning back there laid down the program and the only way there is for fellowship back with God and with one another is through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. And He, he killing the lamb or the sheep, brought the sheepskins, something died to cover them up. And that's exactly, you can't organize it, you can't educate it, you cannot scientifically, you, you, you have to accept it on the basis of faith that something died for you. That brings the fellowship. Now, Job believed that, the oldest book in the Bible. Job accepted the blood offering. He accepted the burnt sacrifice, which was the killing of the sheep. And remember, he stood firm on it. When everything come to him, even his church members, and said, Job, you've sinned, you've trespassed against God. Won't you, let's take Job just for a moment. We see that he made that offering. He put a sin offering out for his children and said, Perventure, they might have sinned. They might have sinned against God. So I'll offer a burnt offering for them. Isn't that lovely? If we had people today, if our mothers and fathers was that concerned about our children, instead of turning them out here on the street with some little cigarette smoker and out to these rock and roll parties and things the way they go, if we'd have them at home and praying for them and prayer meetings and... It would be a lot different world. That's right. Job said, Preventure, I couldn't say my sons and daughters of sin, but if they have, I'll stand on a burnt offering. I'll offer a burnt offering. And when the trials and temptations come, now Job took God's provided way, the sacrifice of blood, the burnt offering, and he stood on it. And when the trials and testings come, well, if that had just been on the denominational, he'd have fell long ago. On scientists, he'd have fell long ago. Because he was, everything he had was taken from him. His children was killed. His riches was taken. His health was gone. And he set out on the ash heap with a piece of 
crock or something, scraping his boil to even his wife, said, Job, why don't you curse God and die the death? He said, Thou speakest like a foolish woman. He didn't say she is foolish, but she talked like one. said, You speak like a foolish, foolish woman. The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When they come down as comforters, the church members come down and accused him. He knew that he was righteous because he wasn't trusting in his own merits, but he had met God's requirement because he had stood on the blood sacrifice. Yes, sir. He knew that he was righteous because he was meeting God's requirements. And then, you notice, if you'll just keep holding out, stand on the blood, don't take nothing else. Belong to your denomination, that's all right. Have education, that's fine. Science, that's all right. But first, place yourself on the blood. Yes, amen. That's the only place of fellowship, is the blood. Now, notice Job, no matter what went, what gone, what his church said, what anyone else said, he knowed he met God's requirements. He was standing on the blood, the bird sacrifice. And notice, when the last hour of his temptation came, and they told him to curse God and die and so forth, he said, you speak like a foolish woman. Then Elihu came down. Ella, El means God's strong one. Break down his name and you got God, a Christ representative. Come down. And he did not accuse Job of being a sinner. But Job wanted to know where God was, that he could go and knock on his door and talk to him. And where there would be a one, a righteous one, Elihu told him, that could stand in the breach, put his hand on a sinful man and a holy God, and would bridge the way between the sinful man and the holy God where the real true blood offering would come someday. Job being a prophet, when his spirit come on him, he got in the spirit. The thunders begin to roar. The lightning begin to flash. He stood on his feet and said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Not the last days he'll stand on this earth and though the skin worms destroys this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He was taking this blood offering here until that real one came. He looked at this one and seen it was a shadow of one to come because God back in Eden had required this and Job was staying on that sacrifice. Yes, sir. It was the only place that God promised to meet man was under the blood. Israel, in the Old Testament, the only place that God ever met Israel was under the shed blood. They come from all over the nations where the lamb was killed. But God only met under the shed blood. Under the blood of the lamb is God's meeting place. That's where he meets his people. That's where he meets his church. That's where he meets your needs is under the blood. And outside of the blood, there's no remission or no hearing. Only through the blood. Now... And we take over Numbers, the 19th chapter of Numbers, when they were in their journey, God told them to go and get a red heifer. Now watch this just a moment, the symbol here. Now, go get a red heifer that never a yoke has been on her. She's not yoked up. Never been in her yoke. And she's red. Has to be red all over. Now red is a bad color to some. Red means stop, it's a stoplight and so forth, but red also is a sign of an atonement. Now, did you ever scientifically take red and look through red? If you take red and look through red, 
red's white. Take red through red, looks white. And so when God looks through our sins, be as red as crimson, yet they shall be white as snow. When he looks through the blood of his own son and sees us, he cannot see us as red crimson sinners. He sees us white as snow, washed in the blood of his own son when we are under the blood. Oh, how beautiful the Bible and its illustrations. Red through red looks white. I know that that is a great sign to us, a sign of an atonement. The red heifer. Now she was to be killed in the evening time. Type of Christ. Now, when Christ come, he never yoked with the Pharisees or with the Sadducees. He only yoked with one, and that was the Father. Him and the Father were yoked together. They were one. And that's the way the Christian has to be, whether you're a Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever it is. You have to yoke first with Jesus Christ. Take your yoke upon me and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly. Therefore, it brings you back into relationship and fellowship with God as long as you're yoked together with Christ. Now, we notice that when the, the heifer was to be killed in the evening time, before all the congregation, so was Christ killed in the evening time. Now, when she was to be killed, her body was to be burned. And with the hoofs and all, and it was to make a water of separation. Now, we get that over in the book of Ephesians where we're washed by the water of the Word. The water is a separation, is the Word of God. And it was to be kept in a clean place. That word that when any wayfaring man or any sinner came by to enter into the congregation of the Lord, this chair was kept in this clean place. Then it's to take seven stripes of blood and stripe it over the door with the finger of the high priest, Eliezer. That is, that entering into the congregation. Now look how beautiful that is. Oh, I hope you don't miss it. Watch. Watch the first thing. Now, my brother Baptist, Methodist, and Pentecostal, I hope you just take your jackets off for a few minutes. I want, I want you to see this, if nothing else. Here, not long ago, I was speaking on this at a fellowship meeting, and one of the great rabbis of the United States met me back behind back there and said, I never heard that like that in my life. Been a rabbi and come from a generation of rabbis, rabbi after rabbi after rabbi, and now he's a Pentecostal rabbi with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I was preaching with him in Shreveport, and the lady told him, said, Sir, said, Rabbi, I'm having a television put in your room. He said, Not television, television. Take him out of there. And she said, well, Aren't you a rabbi? He said, I'm a Pentecostal rabbi. Bless yeah. God. He said, Well, yes. Now, watch this symbol here. Now, the heifer was to be burnt, and with her was to be burnt uh, hossip, cedar, and scarlet was to be burnt together with the heifer. Now, notice, cedar is a red wood, stained wood, white, and red together, symbolizing the cross. And scarlet is ram's wool dyed in blood. And hossip was weeds that was put in with it. Hossip is what you applied the blood by. And it was a blood on scarlet, on the cedar wood, all burnt together to make the what? To make the waters of separation. Made the water and the separation kept in a clean place. Now, the sinner came by. He was unclean. 
Now, notice the water of separation, the ashes mixed with water, which means the spirit of life and so forth. But he was to be sprinkled from his sins with the water of separation. Now, my Baptist brethren, I want to ask you something. If justification is all God requires, I'd like to ask you this. When the man was separated by the waters of separation sprinkled, then he could not yet enter into the, the worship of the glory of the Lord. He could not do it because he was only sprinkled from his sins. It separated him from his sins, but did not put him in fellowship. That's right. It only separated him from his sins. Now, Ephesians said, we are washed by the water of the Word. Now, hearing the Word and being just as religious as you want to be, and your, your pastor or scholar and your doctor of divinity a scholar, still that don't put us in fellowship. Right. No, sir, it will not do it. Because they were only separated from their sins. Now, that's uh, justification was Martin Luther's doctrine. We know that. Being justified by faith and still it didn't bring a fellowship. Now we know the next thing the believer had to do. After being separated from his sins, then what did he do? The next thing he do, he is turned towards the courts. And as he went, notice, oh my, I feel religious when I talk about this. Look, the next thing he had to look at, he had seven stripes of blood before him. To show that the seven stripes meant the seven church ages are the 7,000 years that every age had to be represented by the blood. Nothing else, no other way from Genesis to Revelations, from Eden to the millennium, is the blood and nothing but the blood. Another thing, the believer had to recognize this. The believer coming in towards, now he's not in fellowship yet, yet he's separated from his sins, but he's not in fellowship. He had to recognize that the blood went before him, something died to go before him. And Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 said, Jesus suffered without the gate that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Yeah. That brings you Methodists up. All right. Through sanctification. Still not in fellowship. Still didn't do it. But when they went, is inside, inside the building. But you could fellowship with one another, read one another, but not the fellowship with God yet. Now, then once the year, the high priest, oh my, had to be dressed in a certain way. He had to be anointed a certain way. He had to be anointed with the perfume of the rose of Sharon. They put it upon Aaron's beard and it run all the way down to the hems of his garment. He had to have a certain made clothes. And another thing, he had to walk a certain way. And on his end of his garment, he had a bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate. And he had to walk a certain way to make that place holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. What's he doing? He's approaching the Shekinah glory, the real fellowship. Hallelujah. Now, you see, he had, and he had to make a noise. The only way the congregation could tell he wasn't dead is because they could hear that noise. I'll tell you what, a church lets off its noise, then something happens. They show the world. Because everywhere the Shekinah glory is, there is a noise. Watch. The man that's anointed, and Aaron went in, packing the blood before him, going in, holy, 
Holy, holy unto the Lord. Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Them bells chiming out, anointed, going into the holiest of holies. How the congregation used to admire that man. How he went in there one day and, and left his old staff that he had in his hand. And when he went back in again, that staff that was dead, nothing but an old stick, it had come to life, bloomed and had blossoms on it. Yes, sir. Laying in the presence of the Shekinah glory. I tell you, it'll do it as sure as the world. It'll take an old dead church that comes into that Shekinah glory and bloom it out into a church of faith. Yes, sir. Notice what taking place. Here he was, anointed. Went in behind that place and they could just listen. Hear them bells. Aaron standing in the Shekinah glory by the mercy seat where the cherubims had their wings tipped over. The guards of the mercy seat. And they could listen in there. Oh, how their hearts long to go in there. Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. And know that what it did to Aaron. Oh, he lived from year to year to go in. And how the regular congregation couldn't go in. Yet they were living under the blood, but yet not into the Shekinah glory. But when the true blood came, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, He broke down the middle wall of petition. He tore down the curtain from top to the bottom. And now the believer, whosoever will, let him come into the Shekinah glory. And a man, through justification, believing the word, sanctification, cleaning from his sins, he's a subject to enter into the Pentecostal Shekinah. God did the same thing on the day of Pentecost when he had saved the church through justification, Romans 5, 1. Sanctification, he, uh, St. John 17, 17. He said, Sanctify them, Father, through the truth, for thy word is the truth. But on the day of Pentecost, the middle wall of petition had been torn down. The curtain was rent from top to bottom at Calvary. And the believer entered into that Shekinah glory. And the power of God fell upon him. Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Went the praises and glories and unknown tongues. And out of there they come shouting and rejoicing. That's the only place of fellowship. Brother, that's the only place that'll make the Jew, the Greek, the white, the black, the yellow, the brown set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's when they entered into that Shekinah glory. There's no shame left in them. That's what I think's got the matter with the Pentecostal church today, brother. We find out that the people's getting so ashamed, they're ashamed to say, Amen. They're ashamed to even glorify the Lord. Some of the preachers stand up and say, Ah, man, like a calf of the cramps. And he goes, Up like a kind of boy. I hate that thing. I like her. Stand up and sing with some great big classical song about a great big trying to put on like the rest of the churches. That's not fellowship. If anything, I hate, excuse that expression a few minutes ago. Didn't mean to say it like that. Forgive me. But when I, I think of the way the church has got so starchy and different, oh, my, what's the matter? You see him get up there and try to sing. I stood in a hole in this church not long ago where a choir stood back there. Mm, I wanted to say something so bad. They didn't know I was sitting down to pastor study. And here come that choir out there and David Duplicis taking up an offering for foreign missions. And if them boys with great big robes on and things walked out there with them girls carrying on and telling jokes and 
one started and said, Now here, I'm blind. I'm in a foreign mission. Let me take you put something for me. And up and down like that and walked out there and tried to, with an overtrained voice, trying to squeak and holler like they were trying to sing. You could tell they wasn't singing this Shekinah glory. I do hate an overtrained voice. Stand up there and hold their breath like they get blue in the face. That's not singing. But if anything, I like a good old free Pentecostal chord. Shows they haven't got, they're leaving that Shekinah glory. That's the only place you can ever do. That'll make Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Catholics, Oneness, Twoness, Treeness, and all together come into the Shekinah glory. That's the only place of real fellowship. A man and woman that's ever walked in behind there, there's no difference in any person there. They're all brothers in there because they, they, don't, they only know one thing, that's the blood, and they know they're brothers. Amen. I wish I was twice my size now. Maybe I could enjoy twice as good. Yes. Fellowship. Fellowship under the blood. God's only remedy. Denominations will separate us. Education will separate us. Science will separate us. But the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from sin. We have fellowship one with another while we walk in the light as He is the light. The light of the Shekinah glory. Amen. Like a man getting married. When he gets married, you live in a three-room house. You know that? Oh, you say, I beg your pardon, i got ten. No, you haven't. You only live in a three-room house. That's your, you may have three or four bedrooms and three or four pantries and things like that, but you actually live in a three-room house. That is the kitchen, the living room, and the bedroom. That's right. You live in a three-room house. God lived in a three-room house. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You live in a three-room house, soul, body, and spirit. Now you live in a house of a kitchen, a, a living room, and a bedroom. What is it the first thing when you talk to your little wife? That's the kitchen part, fellowshipping. Like the man who comes into the church, he sits back. He just has a little fellowship with one another when he comes in to listen to the Word. Faith cometh by hearing. Then the next thing in the other room is the engagement room. Well, a lot of people think as long as they get into the kitchen, that's all they have to know. You're just feeding them. You're just getting fed. Then the next room is the engagement room, where you make love to your wife in the parlor. But now wait. That's as far as some people go. But remember, into the next room is where not only fellowship, but relationship comes. And that's what's the matter with the church today. They got a shame face if you can catch them a parable. They don't want that relationship with God. They'd rather have some stole, cold, formal, starchy organization say, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, than to really come down to that relationship with God to go out and bear four children crying out, my Father. They're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to them that believe. We'll never educate them in. We'll never denominate them in. We'll never scientifically take them in. They've got to be born in. That's right. When a baby's born, these three elements come for the baby's life. What's the first thing? Excuse me, sisters. What's the first thing come? Water. If it isn't a dry birth, the baby's not normal. Second thing, 
Blood. Is that right? What's the next thing? Life. What come from Jesus? Water, blood, and life. Spiritually signed. What constitutes the, the natural birth constitutes the spiritual birth. If a baby's born and he's stillborn, he doesn't cry, there's no emotion to him, what's the matter with him? He's a dead-born baby. That's what's the matter with the churches today. What's the matter with our Pentecostals? We're bringing forth too many dead-born babies. Exactly right. Yes, sir, we are. That's exactly right. What do you do with a baby if he's stillborn like that? You just take him by the heels and raise him up and give him a little posterior protoplasma stimulation just as hard as you can. And that fixes him up. And if anything the church needs tonight is a good old-fashioned gospel spanking with the power of the Holy Ghost. We have one thing to do with it. Separate ourselves on account of that. Nonsense. It shows we haven't been in the Shekinah glory yet. It's exactly right. When I was a little boy, brother and I, we went back out the field behind us. We met an old, old terrapin. I don't know what you know what they are or not. Out here on the West Coast. How many knows what a turtle or terrapin is? All right. He's the funniest looking things to us little kids. He looks so horrible. Here's that big old leg, you know, reaching out like that. And I said, isn't he a funny looking thing, brother? He said, yes, yes. I said, let's go look at him. When he did, went, like a lot of these Christians, you know, so-called, go, throw him, sheriff, out of the Oh, your brother Bram that holy roller. Hmm. Uh, you, you're that guy pleased with divine healing. You're that divine healer. <laughs> oh, you old turtle. <laughs> so then, the first thing you know, I said, well, wait a minute, brother. I said, I'll fix him. We want to see him walk. And he wouldn't walk for us. He'd just sit there like he's dead. That's what the church has done. All got up in your Presbyterian hull, your Methodist, Baptist, and Pentecostal hull. Just draw back in. We won't have nothing to do with the rest of them. <clears throat> you know what I said? I said, I'll get me a switch. I poured on him. I went over and got me a great big willow switch. And I just whipped him for all it was, and he didn't do a thing. <laughs> you can't whoop it into him. I said, I'll tell you, I'll fix him. I took him out the creek and got him with a shell. I said, I'll drown him or he'll walk. And I pulled him under the water, just a few bubbles come up, and that was all. Didn't do a thing. <laughs> Brother, you can baptize him three times forward, three times backward, four many ways you want to. And you just go down to dry center and come up a wet one. But you know how I made him move? I built me a little fire and set the old boy on it. He moved on. What the church needs tonight is not a ripping mud, not a theology, but the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Set the church afire with the gospel. Set the fire of God down on them through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That'll make them move. Praise God forever. That's what it takes to make the church move. Honor the blood, and the blood brings the fire. The sacrifice was offered by fire. The blood on the fire made the smoke, the sweet-smelling Savior that went up to the Savior Himself. The sweet-smelling Savior was the prayers of people on the odor of the blood that went up as he prayed on the shed blood. And today, when the sacrifice has been burnt by the Holy Spirit, when you take your own sacrifice by the blood of Jesus Christ and throw yourself on the altar, covered by the blood, and the Holy Ghost gets a hold of that and sends a sweet-smelling Savior to God that brings you into the Shekinah glory, that's the only place of fellowship. Amen! Amen! Fellowship. 
That's what we need, God's way of fellowship. There's only one way God provided the way of fellowship. We cannot educate ourselves into it. We cannot dress ourselves into it. You cannot denominate yourself into it. You've got to be born into it through the blood of Jesus Christ takes you into the divine fellowship. Then if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. How can we hold prejudice, a racial prejudice? How can we hold denominational prejudice and still say we're walking in the light? How can we hold prejudice against the Word of God and say the days of miracles is past? God's own Word. Because we just have to meet the thing in the face and say, well, I just can't make it come to pass. I just don't believe it. Why don't you witness your unbeliever? Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And that settles it. It's for believers. That's the reason I'm Pentecostal. That's the reason I believe it. Because I've found them. I've walked into places and great places. I went with these Pentecostal people and where there was, and right in Washington, D.C., when uh, Vice President Nixon and all of them was there, it didn't stop them a bit. When the power of God fell, they shouted and praised God just the same anywhere. They're not ashamed of the gospel because they're in the fellowship. Hallelujah. When a man's born of the Spirit of God, there's something happens to him. And he's brought into the Shekinah glory. He's a child of God. Faith dwells within him. He's Abraham's seed then. For he's dead in Christ and take on Abraham's seed. Oh, world, if they only knew what it was. I tell you what, where we made a mistake. Now, if you'll excuse me for saying this in closing. Where we made the mistake, we tried to denominate ourselves into it. We have it and the rest of them don't have it. The Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, they're nothing if they're old cold formals. If you don't watch out, we're going to be the old cold formals and they're going to pick it up and go on. It's exactly right. We are going to watch and find ourselves that way because they're just coming from right and left everywhere. You see where the Episcopalians now are saying we must get back to the gospel. We must come back to Pentecost. We must have speakers with tongues, interpreters of tongues, divine healers, and everything in our churches. Oh, brother, what a thing. You don't sell this tape.
Shekinah. Glory to God. Send it upon us, O Lord. Send us your blessings, Father. With hungry and open hearts, we wait before you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How we thank thee, Lord. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Well, brother, you talk about discerning spirit, visions. Isn't that just the same? Isn't interpretation of tongues prophecy? See what the Holy Spirit has said? Perhaps them two men did never know one another or see one another. Very doubtful they ever did. And here they are, one speaking, the other giving it, and come right in with the word. Did you notice about how long he spoke, how he brought his adjectives and his, his, uh, high, uh, his sentences in? Did you notice how the interpretation comes? Just the same thing, right back, just the way he spoke it like that. Why, it's the Holy Ghost among us. We, we're just getting numb to the thing. We just don't realize, brother, what a great thing this is. Oh, how God wants to pour his blessings upon his church. Don't you believe that? Oh, my Wondering right now why the Holy Spirit just spoke. Why did He stop me from them last few mar- remarks? Why did, he, why did He bring it down when I had something I was going to say about the blood? Why did He? Because He spoke this interpretation so that you would know that it's Him speaking. Yes. He gave witness. said, don't pay no attention to the clay, but the message is true. There it is. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Shake off all the shackles and get loose so you really enter into the Shekinah glory. For the Shekinah fall. That's the fellowship. The blood of Jesus Christ making all you Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, and all of you one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to God. Oh, brother. I know you think I'm crazy, but, but I'm not. I'm not. I know where I am, but this is glorious to feel the Spirit of God down here in the, uh, on the West Coast in these last days, under the Word, the Word, God honors the Word. That's the way, listen, so it's your Pentecostal people to know. See, God honors the Word of those visions because He promised it. Well, the same God that promised that promises the kind of glory to His people. See, it's the same God just in another form bringing you another blessing. Oh, if I could just, everybody could catch it at one accord, wouldn't this be wonderful? Oh, it would be glorious. Oh, the sick would be healed, the lame would walk and leap like a heart, and, and the sinners would be weeping their way to Calvary, and the Shekinah falling all around, and we wouldn't even go home tonight. We'd just stay here all night long, all day tomorrow, and all day the next day, and the streets would be piled everywhere with the power of God who wants to break forth like a light upon us. Oh, hallelujah, how I love him for that. His goodness and his mercy endureth forever. He's truly, truly the son of the living God. Amen. Jesus Christ, there's no other. He is the true son of the living God. He's our savior, our healer, our king, our prince, our our life, our joy, our health. He's all in all to us. How wonderful. How we ought to be willing to be presenting to people. Let him go out to someone. How wonderful. How glorious. It is. The time is short now coming soon. Yes, prepare thyself. Prepare thyself. Before it's too late. Yes, listen to every word. 
Praise be to God. Oh, wonderful. Look at that poor lady that said that there, that lovely-looking elderly lady, her hair frosted for eternity. No, she hasn't very much longer on earth. Uh, uh, when we get up to the age, like, what would that woman be saying anything if it wasn't something she couldn't hold herself and just pushing out of her? It's the Holy Spirit bringing forth his Upon my handsmaids and my maidservants will I pour out of my spirit. Yes, there's God's promise exactly, friends. Oh, my. Hallelujah. If you could just see what it is. If you could just enjoy it. Oh, my. I believe we ought to call sinners first to the altar. Don't you think so? Somebody go to the piano right quick. Sinner friend, I'm inviting you in the name of the Lord Jesus upon the basis first of his word, upon the basis of speaking in tongues and giving the interpretation and on prophecy falling on that sweet old mother sitting over there. Every one of them speaking the same thing, calling, calling, calling. There's something we ought to do. Let's stand. What's your song, brother? I surrender all. Come here, brother. Let's see if you have to sing it. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed playing at once, are you really mean that with all your heart? Are you ready to give up everything? Women, are you ready to give up your fashions for Christ? Gentlemen, man here, are you willing to give up your smoking, your drinking, your gambling? Give up your creed and find Christ? Church member, are you ready to surrender your creed for Christ? Your creed will be condemned at that day. Your Christ will be received. For it's only you're going to be judged by an angry God who's not going to look for anything else but the blood of His own Son. And that's the only thing of past. No matter how good you've been, how loyal you've been, if you're not covered by the blood living in the Shekinah glory, you'll be lost at that day. Live in that. Will you surrender all now? Come up here and let me shake your hand. Pray with you right here around the altar. Come on, church member, whoever you are, come. I
receive the Holy Ghost. Come on down out of the balcony up there, all of you, outside of Christ. Come on, this Shekinah glory is true. I'll witness it by the Word and by God. It's true, friend. Come while you got a chance to come. All right, what we say? Thank you.